Okay, cowboy, here's the odds. The time has come. Time for adventure. It's nail-biting time again. And this time, this time, this time with a vengeance. This time, it's personal. It couldn't possibly get any worse. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. It's Attack of the Third, and we're back. This uh, this is my my co-host. I don't know why I started introducing you first, but uh, go ahead and, and introduce yourself. I, I am more important, so that is a good <laughs> move on your part. It's like your brain is letting you know uh, I am your co-host, Dave, uh, and I am very happy to be here to, of course, talk about a great third movie because I picked it. Yeah, uh, So it's obviously going to be great. Uh, but who are you? Oh, me? I'm just, I'm, I'm uh, Night Owl Joe. Uh, known for my uh, terrible movie takes on Twitter. <laughs> true, true. And your worst movie takes through DM. Uh, if you think he's bad uh, on the, the public platform, just my God, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, and the thing I love about this show, Joe, is that when you introduce it, I'm never sure if you're like yelling at me or you're panicked or it's an actual introduction of the show. Cause like this one started off Jesus Christ. And I'm like, Oh God, what, what's happening? What did we, Oh, Oh, he's just, he's doing a bit. Okay. That's good. Um, so, but this week, as we, you know, last week we did, or I guess two weeks ago, whatever it is now, uh, we did Die Hard with a Vengeance, and I said I was kind of keeping with right, that right. Um, that kind of action level, and I mistakenly thought all three of these movies are directed by the same person. Sorry, Doug Lyman, my bad. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, but this week we're doing The Bourne Ultimatum, which is as <laughs> as IMDb or as Wikipedia describes uh, Jason Bourne, the former CIA assassin and psychogenic amnesiac, <laughs> which is a great, it's all true, but it is sound even more dramatic uh, than what we're dealing with here. Um, yeah, absolutely, baby. Um, so, what is your history with the Bourne series? Did you ever like read the Robert Ludlum books or was your introduction movie based? Mm, mm, uh, my introduction was absolutely movie based. Um, I remember back in the day, I was, I was still a young kid when the first movie came out and my dad, he loves this entire genre of, mm -hmm. you know, books, films. He, he had uh, enough, you know, Tom Clancy books. You could wait lift with his collection. And, uh, I remember, you know, my parents would always rent a movie for like the kids in the house and then they would rent one for themselves. And my dad and my mom watched The Born Identity after we went to bed. And like the next day, my dad's like, yo, you got to see this. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, because there was nothing too racy in it, they're like, yeah, all right, you know, he can watch this. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. And it, it kind of blew right. me away. You know, it was very cool. A lot of it went over my head at that young age. But um it was one of my mom's favorite movies. Um, <clears throat> and weirdly enough, this is just, you know, a little, a little uh, anecdote to throw out there. Uh, young Matt Damon looked almost identical to my childhood friend, Tevin. And <laughs> whenever he would come over, my mom would uh, tease him about, you know, being a spy and having amnesia, um, which was great. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you and I actually have relatively similar connections to this. Like, it's <laughs> funny that you mentioned uh, both these books uh, and the Tom Clancy books, because those are right. also my dad's favorites. I think your mm -hmm. dad and my dad probably would have got along oh, yeah. very well. 
Um, and I ended up like picking up those books as well. I think I read the first three uh, Born books. Um, and mm-hmm. I think I read them like maybe maybe six months before the first movie came out and right. not in the way of like, oh, the movie's coming out. Right. I better catch up. I just happened to read them. And it's interesting that you mentioned like, you know, it's not that racy. There's not that much crazy stuff uh, that a kid can't <laughs> see in the first one because uh, it's something I remember. I mean, obviously we won't focus too much on the first one. This right. is Attack of the Third after all. Right. Um, one of the things I noticed most in that is that they really cleaned up Jason Bourne. Really? Um, they, oh, yeah. They made him a lot nicer in, in these movies. Um, so, for instance, in the book, you know, he does, you know, kind of uh, meet this woman who helps him out. But when he first meets her, he literally drags her around by the hair and uses her as a human shield. Like, he is not a nice man. Jesus Christ. Um, where, whereas in this, it's like, yeah, he does some violent things, but only to the bad guys. Yeah. And he's very kind to her. And I think it's a really smart decision if you're going to build. Oh, yeah. um, and, and again, there's things you can get away with in books that you can't get away with in movies you see that scene described in a book and you're kind of like wow that's a little rough but okay let's go with it you see clean cut matt damon drag a woman around by her hair and like put her in mortal peril peril it's going to be hard for us to really buy into him as a hero and someone we should root for so so i think it's probably a really good decision um and it's kind of a shame, weirdly, that the second and third movies are so good because the first movie is a fine spy action movie. Yeah. But I watched them all in sequence <laughs> for this. And the first one really stands out as kind of like, this is weirdly kind of boring in comparison. And some of it, of course, is the kind of frenetic camera work um, yeah. that, that you get here from Greengrass, which I think it's interesting because that, that style, his style, Greengrass's style, has become like a source of mockery yeah. um, over the years. But I, I really dig yeah. it. I love it. So. Like, I I just think it's great. I think it puts you in the middle of the action like anything. Um, <laughs> if you go too hard with it, if you mm-hmm. do too much, mm-hmm. it could be exhausting. Um, but, yeah. man, I really like it. And I'm so glad that this is Attack of the Third instead of, like, Attack of the Second or the Fourth. Because to me... This is the best born movie and it is nowhere close. Like this yeah. is way above and beyond. Like the second one's fun. The first one is pretty good. And then after the third one, you go into, uh, you know, changing casting right. and then bringing back Jason Bourne later in the just Jason Bourne. No, no, no three, no name. We're just going to call it Jason Bourne. John Rambo. We, we, yeah. We want to remind <laughs> you how cool this is, but it's, it's interesting to me because it is an entire series that is based on finding out the truth about yourself. But this is the one that out of all of them mm-hmm. is really the the kind of origin story movie. Oh, yeah. It's the, the whatever you think of it in comparison. It is the skyfall of uh, of Jason Bourne. Movies, yeah, right? that's a very you good know? comparison. You know, and a lot of people don't like Skyfall because it like, really? you know, it, oh, yeah, I've been a lot of people. And, you know, it's Twitter. You, you could, you know, you'd find any movie. And you mean a lot of Twitter it. doesn't like Skyfall. <laughs> yes, yes. 
But and a lot of the complaints were like, well, I don't really want to know who James Bond is. I just want to have fun and, you know, go into the fantasy. Uh, and I get that. And I think but I think this movie, like because the first one is set up as he's a character with amnesia. Right. So the whole thing is about figuring all this out. Right. Um, so so I think it ends up working maybe even better here than it does in Skyfall. And I'm a big Skyfall fan. So that is Damn. high praise oh, yeah. coming from me. But yeah, man, this movie fucking rules, man. I just it's. And it's also strangely, surprisingly, a third movie that I am perfectly fine watching completely out of sequence. Like I could just pop this in because the way the way character deaths are set up in uh-huh. other movies and leading into this, this does feel like a little bit of a reset. Like yeah. there are characters that pop up who we recognize, but the movie does a really good job of explaining who they are without you needing to watch four and a half more <laughs> hours of material. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Uh, there's a lot for me to unpack with this. Not not about the movie itself. I agree with everything you've said so far. Um, <clears throat> but like most of my thoughts and experiences uh, with this movie is entirely centered around my mom, surprisingly. Hmm, interesting. E- even though my dad loves these movies and he, he read the first book and he kind of came away from it because he, he read the book after he saw the movie. He kind of came away from it with, with the same conclusion that you just you just pointed out. He's like, wow, he's kind of an asshole in the books. He's like, I, I don't think I want to read <laughs> yeah. the rest. You know, so uh, <laughs> the, he was happy and content to just, you know, stick to the movies for the most part. Um, but yeah, my mom adored these kinds of like you know uh pg-13 sort of espionage movies where they would never get too racy they would never get too you know foul never too violent but they were still very solid well-constructed thrillers you know Mm -hmm. and she adored matt damon so like these movies were on all the time at our (laughs) house and i think it was the second one that came out 2004 and I don't I don't remember that because of the movie itself. I remember that because I wanted to go see Alien versus Predator. And instead, we went to see the Born Supremacy. Good move. <laughs> uh, not not when you're like 11 or so. I don't I don't remember no, how old that was. Fair, though. fair. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it's 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 also interesting um, because this is almost the inverse of my sort of um takeaway with Die Hard, you know, where Die Hard, the third movie became my favorite. Uh, and I, you know, I, the first one is the best, but the third one's my favorite. With this sure. one, it's it's almost the opposite. The third one is the best, but the first one's my favorite. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I, I can absolutely acknowledge the third one is the superior movie on almost every level. Even the action. Is it, is it the the love story stuff that really gets you in the yeah. first one? Yeah. Okay. Oh, so you're you're soft. Yeah. You're you're, sure. you're a little bitch. Sure. I see. Absolutely. Hundred percent. Wear it right across my forehead. Um. No, no, but I think you're right. I think I think that you know it's interesting because I think that love story really works and it's oh yeah it's well crafted in the way that like it's not this immediate attraction. Right. It's like it builds over the movie. So then by the time that she dies in later films, you do really feel that loss. Oh yeah. But I and I think interestingly, the love story is also 
it ends up being like why I like the third movie mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. is because he is haunted by this and it it opens up this avenue for him to have a reason to despise these people right. and to just let loose in terms of the action because there's oh, yeah. no one left to protect. Right. Right. So, it, but it is still rooted in the goodness of that first movie yeah. and the purity of that relationship. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that time in my life was very rough as, you know, a fledgling, you know, cinema buff because like it's it's 2004 right um you know alien versus predator comes out i've never seen a predator movie before and i've only seen the first two (laughs) alien movies and and i got to see i got to see avp in theaters blew my little mind i still have a soft spot for that movie feels like a driving flick um but this this is going to get back on topic very soon you know you know i've never done that by the way what's that seen a drive-in movie really never ever nope it's on my list. I got to do it someday, but. Okay, cool. I've seen, I've seen a few, but uh, yeah, it feels like a drive-in movie to me, you know, um, just can't be fun. But in, in catching up to AVP, I wanted like afterwards, I wanted to sort of recap and watch the other movies. Uh, that's when I relented uh, or pressured my dad into relenting to let me finally see alien three. Right. And then, you know, uh, Newton Hicks die. And then, oh, right. hey, let's go watch The Born Supremacy. And then Marie dies. It's a very depressing year for me, Dave. <laughs> like All Jesus these characters Christ. I love are just dying off, you know? And, and yet you sit here and are like, oh, Alien 3 is good. You idiot. Yeah, I, 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 came, I came around on it in the same way I can I can acknowledge that, you know, The Born Supremacy is a decent movie. Um, decent? How dare you? Very decent. How it's it's a very you. good movie. It's a very good movie. Um, but like a part of me is still that kids like, how dare you, you know, how dare you do this to me? Because for me then, and even now movies resonate with me more on an emotional level rather than a logical one. Right. So, and and I think that's why I'm, uh, kind of cold to a lot of Christopher Nolan's movies. Like I can sit back and like, yeah, yeah, that's very, you know, academically that's sound. That's great. But it's a math equation to me. I don't feel anything, Mm. you know, Hmm. It's, it's numbers, it's ones and zeros. It's very clinical. And I think says, says the super fan of the Matrix. Okay, but continue. Uh, hey, hey, hey! The mate, the <laughs> ones, and, ones and zeros. That's the only reference I'm making. I'm not saying it's not emotional. Continue. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, you know, inevitably we will get to the Matrix Revolution state. I will say that. But uh, 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 we'll probably be on the same page with that one. But yeah, no. Um. I think the interesting thing about the firstborn movie and the third one is that in the first one, he realizes that, you know, chasing down his past is only worth so much when there's so much death in it. And he decides right. uh, to go be with Marie, you know, and that was his ending. You didn't get this big revelatory like you are so and so. This is your history. Right. This is your past. Right. He basically right. just said, you know, fuck it. I got this, you know, amazing girl that's waiting on me. I'm going to go find her. And I thought that was such a ballsy, uh, you know, ending for that movie. And yeah. then, and I want to circle back to that in a second. And then in the third movie, it kind of code, uh, there's like a coda to that sort of uh, ending where instead of like, you know, embracing, look, I am David Webb. This is what I do. He's like, no, I'm Jason Bourne. Like, this is it. This, right. this is me. I'm going to choose who I am now. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't care. You know, this is, this is who I am so far. I'm going to roll with it. And I thought right. that was, again, a very power move, just like the end of the first movie. So, like, mm-hmm. I can I can get behind it. I mean, you kind of have to 
you know, really nudged me into watching the second one again. I do not want to see Marie die again, like ever. Yeah, I'm it's good. Rough. I've seen it's it rough. too many times. Yeah. yeah. Like the first and the third, I could easily watch those back to back and be like, all right, this is very satisfying. You know? Yeah, I totally agree. In in watching the the second, it's, uh, the second one is it. It was so interesting to me when it came out because mm-hmm. it's such a departure visually right. from the first one. Yeah. But I I could see making the argument that it's like that it's a three, one, two. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't be too against that. It's cause it's not like the first movie is so far below in quality. It's, it's just it's like, really not. it's just such a different style mm-hmm. and it, it takes a little bit longer to get going yeah. um, than the other ones, which makes sense. You got to introduce all these characters. Oh, yeah. um, but this one has, I mean, I don't think there's any question. It has the best line reading of any line in any of the board <laughs> movies. And this is your cue to put David Strathern's Jesus Christ. That's Jason Bourne. Jesus Christ. That's Jason Bourne. Uh, it's, it's so good. And it, it's like, it's so cheesy, but delivered by such a great actor that you're like, yeah, I'm down with this. This works. And it, it really, yeah. it, and that's what you need in a movie like this. You need not only him showing what a badass he is, yeah. but you need the reactions the of, of people who not only know him, but know Spycraft mm-hmm. and know, know the art of violence, essentially. Yeah. And even they are like, oh, God, we are so screwed right now. <laughs> um, but I think it's interesting because there's, you know, we could go on and on about all the action sequences in here because yeah. they're all top tier. Oh, yeah. Um, but maybe my favorite bit is him guiding the uh, uh, the reporter. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, it's so it's so well filmed. It's you get the like the tense anxiety of that character along with the assurity of Jason Bourne mm-hmm. through that sequence. And you're. You're rooting for him, but you're also like cursing him. Where you're like, "Will you just listen to Jason Bourne? Oh, yeah. If you would just listen to, if you do what he says, you are going to be fine." But you also understand that uh-huh. panic. And when yeah. he runs, you both understand it, and you know he's about to get his fucking head blown off. Yeah, because you know what kind of movie you're watching. And in that sense, the movie doesn't disappoint you. Yeah. And that again sets up the stakes of this movie. Yeah, where it's like. Oh no, if you take one step wrong to the left or the right, you are dead. Yeah. That's it. Even if you are Jason Bourne, you cannot make any mistakes. And there are sequences in here where he is harmed and he is wounded. He is not a superhero. Yeah. He is not always going to be safe. And that's a really difficult thing to do in a spy movie, right? Oh, yeah. I like, I love Bond movies. I always will. But it does suffer from that where you don't, except in a few movies. You don't really believe that he's ever actually in danger. Yeah. Right. He's fucking James Bond. He's going to yeah. be fine. I think, I think maybe in things like Casino Royale, you get that in James Bond. Oh, but like if you, yeah, if you watch, you know, Goldfinger or, you know, Octopussy, like you're not really ever worried. And yes, that was just an excuse for me to say Octopussy on a, on a podcast, but you never really, you never really feel that danger. Whereas I think actually in all three Jason Bourne movies, yeah. you do feel that like, Wait, how is he going to get out of this? How is this going to end? Oh, yeah. And and you know the the end of this movie for a while there is his <laughs> lifeless corpse floating in the water, <laughs> and you are just waiting for him to move. But there's also a part of you, I think, when I first saw this movie, I was like, maybe it's over. Yeah, 
because because there wasn't a fourth one on tap at that point. Right. You know, uh, Damon had been quoted as saying, like, we're done now. We're done after three. I'm not coming back. Of course, you know, the money was too good and he yeah. had to come back for Jason Bourne. But, you know, there is a moment there where you're like, maybe it ends with his death. Maybe he did everything he set out to do. Yeah. You know, he found out who he was and it's over now. You know, that is a really difficult thing to pull off in an action spy genre movie. And, and yeah, I definitely agree. And I think it's I think it's interesting uh, going going back a bit here. Um, the Born Identity kind of changed Hollywood as far as their mm-hmm. approach to shit. Like it's you mentioned Casino Royale, like Casino Royale happened because of the Born Identity. Like, 100%. like directly. They literally said that. We need to do that. We need to do that. <laughs> Literally that. I mean, when you make that much fucking money, <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah, you do. So like, and, and it's the first time I can remember um, in a James Bond movie, maybe outside of like <sighs> Dr. No or like Goldeneye. And that's literally like the first and like the way later, you know, entry. Mm-hmm. It's like the few times I can even remember feeling like, you know, um, Bond is a human who could actually get injured, you know, and then Casino Royale comes along. And for most of that movie, it's literally Bond failing. It is like a greatest hits of all his early failures. And and they, they frame it in a way that's like spy tragic, you know, it's like spy tragedy. And that's Mm -hmm. so fascinating because that's Jason Bourne, you know? Jesus yep. Christ, yep. that's Jason Bourne. Um, <laughs> nice. And, you know, it, it, even Skyfall, you know, Skyfall and, and the Bourne um, ultimatum, they kind of go hand in hand, you know, like that whole uh, James mm. Bond trilogy. And then this, they, they mirror each other really nicely. Yeah. And then also um, tying back into Christopher Nolan, his best uh, Batman movie, in my opinion, I'm going to catch a lot of flack for this. It's Batman Begins. You know, well, I don't think you'll catch that much flack for that. I think there's <sighs> I've met a fair amount of people who have who have that opinion. Yeah. I think, you know, I think, of course, you know, the Dark Knight got a lot of publicity. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great performance in there. There's a lot of great stuff. But like that's definitely I will say this. It is definitely the best Batman origin story that we have seen on screen. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's particularly close. Not like at all. It is it's excellently it's, done and done in a very different way. Yeah. And again, I mean, even they said, even Warner Brothers said it like we wanted to do what the Born Identity did for Jason Bourne. You know, we wanted to have a movie that sort of reinvents the tone of Batman and like mm-hmm. goes back to basics and shows like a really brawny, like you know, empathetic character. And I liked that. I liked that a lot. I think it it introduced kind of a more a higher brow take on a lot of these franchises than we were used to seeing. But the interesting thing is like the born identity is right there on the line, right? Like there's, there's, there's an alternate universe out there where instead of Paul Greengrass making the sequel, you had Luke Besson making the sequel, you Hmm. know, Mm -hmm. and it would have been just to the South tonally. Right. And it would have been like a transporter sequel, you know, and it, it, it wouldn't have felt weird to anybody at that time because the born identity wasn't like, it's not cinema with a capital C, but it's, right. it's also not die another day. You know what I mean? It's, it's just like, <laughs> sure. it's like right sure. on the line. It's, it's a smart movie and the sequels could have been just that much dumber. And like, nobody would have really minded it so long as Matt Damon's like kicking people's faces in, you know, right. It would have right. had the, the Rambo effect, but this might be like the only trilogy that I can think of 
that like it's such a jumping quality like each time because like on a technical level um even the second one is like vastly superior to the first do you think that's because of greengrass or because of the amount of money that they were able to use uh i think it's greengrass because i've seen doug Mm -hmm. lyman's other movies oh come on man no, i like his, i like his movies i like his movies a lot i think he's a very good um director and but i think his, he did go right am i remembering that right uh i don't know i think so yes uh i know he also did mr and mrs smith and what i was going to say was oh, like, yeah. his mm-hmm. sensibilities lean more towards the popcorn entertainment you know yes where yes. paul greengrass is like making cinema with a capital c you know what i mean like he he's definitely making something that's meant to be engaged with a bit more, taken a bit more sure. seriously. Um, I think there's more of a sense is like I'm crafting something here rather than I'm making a fun movie. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And it's interesting that he he's able to do that in the action genre, which not a lot of people are. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, he's doing he's making some really really interesting choices. The thing, another thing I find really interesting about this series in general, at least up to this point, because I didn't see, I didn't, I haven't watched Born Legacy, right. um, the Jeremy Renner one. Right. I have it because I, you know, this actually one also the really selfish reason that I chose this is during Black Friday this last year. I bought um, the 4K versions of all these movies. So I was like, oh, I've been wanting to check this out anyway. So did I just watch the third movie? No, sir. I watched all three. three. Uh, uh, And the thing I noticed actually is that something that I feel defines Jason Bourne as a character in the films is his kindness towards women. Yeah. Um, which is a very strange, it's, it's something you don't see that often in, in the action genre. Mm -hmm. Uh, But obviously you have the character of Marie, you know, in the, in the first and a little bit of the second movie. Sorry. Um, (laughs) But um, (laughs) sorry, couldn't, I couldn't resist. Um, But, you know, Julia Stiles playing Nikki Parsons, Julia Stiles, an actor like who I just love and I wish had an even bigger career than she does. It feels like she got like, weirdly pigeonholed and like just kind of disappeared but i just think she has like this kind of genuineness that i really love in an actor and like you really feel what she's going through yeah um and that sequence where he's kind of holding her at gunpoint like you you feel it for real and it's all it's all done with her face like her face is what gets all of that across and also some really excellent filmmaking from Greengrass, like, you know, showing us the code words and showing her reaction and what she says. Like, it's a really, yeah. it's a really powerful, good moment, but his kind of decision to trust her yeah. in that moment and treat her kindly. And there's a scene, you know, after she's like changed her hair and gotten into her, uh, her little disguise and she's leaving like him actually having some kind words for her. He didn't have to react that way. No, He, he could have just, he could have done the nice thing to let her go and then not have a moment. But what does he say? It gets easier. You know, as, as she leaves, just a, just a little moment of empathy there yeah. and telling her, I understand what you're going through right now. The fact that you have to be in hiding because yeah. of a moral choice you made. Mm-hmm. I get it. And like, even though I can't, physically be there for you i'm still there for you in this small way right and it's and it's a totally it's does the does the plot do the plot mechanics change at all by having that sequence there 
Absolutely not. It makes no difference in the ending of the movie or really what happens moving forward, but it's a beautiful little character moment. And you see him have that with women, especially throughout this trilogy. And that's just a really interesting choice from both Lyman and Greengrass. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember even watching it when I was a kid, there's that moment where, you know, he gets to the Treadstone little HQ area. And that's the first time, like, He's been face to face with Nikki and he holds her at gunpoint in that movie too, if I recall. Yep. And I did not know at the time whether or not he was going to shoot. Cause like these guys mm-hmm. were ostensibly the bad guys, you know, yep. there's a little bit of gray area there. Um, mm-hmm. But it was one of the first movies as well that I think sort of challenged my perception as, as a kid and also as an American kid that, you know, your government may not always have your best interests at heart. They're looking out right. for themselves on the global stage. And and even now, you know, watching it, I think these movies are even more effective now. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing I really, really appreciate as a franchise that was sort of born in and evolved in that like post 9-11 um, culture of entertainment. You know, mm-hmm. you never saw, you never really saw Jason Bourne like torturing somebody for information. Right. It, it was never, it was never, you know, uh, brown skinned people who were the enemy. It was never about a terrorist attack. They never had Jason Bourne tracking down somebody who was like, you know, gonna, gonna, you know, uh, like a, like a terror, like, you know, even Arnie had it with uh, True Lies. It was like, oh God, okay, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And here, mm-hmm. it, the movies never lose sight of the fact that the American government is like specter, you know, it's this Mm -hmm. monstrosity with fingers and tentacles all around the globe. And he's on this, honestly, like this moral crusade, you know, to reveal this. And it's become at this point, his life's work, you know? Yeah. I love that. It's not only a moral crusade, but he also takes time to kind of troll uh, (laughs) the government, the government where, you know, I think it's in in this one where he's like outside the building Mm -hmm. and he's talking about Pam um, uh, played by Joan Allen, who's wonderful as always. And just, it just says, get some rest, Pam. You look tired. (laughs) <laughs> and she knows that he is looking at her uh, in that moment. And it's so it's just this aggressive trolling mm-hmm. throughout the entire trilogy. And he does it time and time again. I can't remember. Is this the one where he like essentially like breaks in yeah, and steals one. stuff from the safe? Same yeah, he's, he's just like, you know, leading them on this chase away from where they need to yeah. be. If it's me you want to talk to, perhaps we can arrange a meet. Where are you now? I'm sitting in my office. I doubt that. Why would you doubt that? If you were in your office right now, we'd be having this conversation face to face. And he's just so good at what he does that it's, you know, it's like, uh, he he didn't have to to let him know, you know. Right, right. You almost have to be like, well, you know what? Respects, Jason. Like, like you gave me every opportunity to catch you and you still won. So, so well done. I think the, one of the most interesting things about, about this movie to me is this whole, you know, kind of search for the truth. And you have um, mostly the voice of Albert Finney Mm -hmm. doing the heavy lifting as Dr. Albert Hirsch, who you find out later, he's a psychologist who oversaw their behavioral modification program. Um, So 
I find myself wondering how other people react to this because I love Albert Finney so much, but it's not for movies like this. I immediately think of Big Fish, which is one of my favorite movies ever made. I think it's like, right. I think it's weirdly underrated, even though it mm-hmm. made a shitload of money. Like it's one of those movies that people are like, oh yeah, that cute movie. And I think it's beautiful. Right. Um, so I see Albert Finney as a good guy in general, mm-hmm. even though he's made a career of playing some pretty despicable characters. Like if you go back and look at his filmography. So it's always a, it's always like kind of like a knife under, uh, you know, slipping right under the ribs for me to watch Albert Finney in a role like this. But his voice is so gravelly and so cool that you're like, you immediately buy the evil that this man has done. At least I do. What is your reaction to that character? Because it's kind of out of nowhere, right? It's It's not a character we've met before. It's completely introduced in the third movie. Um, when I, when I was younger, I had like this theory that they cast him specifically because he, in a way, resembles Brian Cox, who, you know, oh, he a hundred percent does. Actually, it's funny you say that because I hadn't watched this movie in years right. and I, for some reason, had it in my head that that was Brian Cox. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait, no, it's Albert Finney. Oh, yeah, here we are. Yeah. So I think that's probably correct. Yeah. And I, I think that there's always I think he he's cast to resemble that kind of person who's always behind the scenes, you know, who, mm-hmm. who's always that they have their hand in something. Um, these, you know, old white guys who've been given too much slack to play with people's minds and lives, you know, and again, what is that if not like a trademark of the American government? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, welcome to Attack of the Third, like this extreme leftist podcast here. But no, <laughs> um, but yeah, like when I was a kid, like I made that connection and it's stuck with me ever since, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they look so similar. They carry themselves so similarly. They talk to Born in that same tone, you know, and I just whenever I see his character, I don't even see the actor really. I just see that sort of archetype of that guy who's like behind mm-hmm. the scenes, you know, who's done terrible stuff and uh, eventually has to face it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, you know, we talked a lot about Paul Greengrass mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, as I always am, because this is the amount of research I do for right. this shitty little podcast is <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have Wikipedia open next to me and I'm kind of a, I'm kind of like, not amazed, but like impressed at all the references that Greengrass made. I guess there's this whole section about, you know, him talking on the audio commentary for, for this movie, mm-hmm. talking about a bunch of scenes that were deliberate allusions to scenes from previous movies in the yeah. franchise. And there's, and there's like 12 of them. And as you read them, you're like, Oh yeah, yeah. That fits yeah. too. That's, you know, so he's, it kind of supports what you were talking about oh, where yeah. he's, you know, within this genre of making cinema with a capital C mm-hmm. where he's like, not only like with like, Oh, this moment is reminiscent, but like actual visual styling yeah. and posing to make you remember these moments. And, you know, one of my favorites is that, you know, you know, you have the character of pause in here. Who's like the, uh, another person sent to kill right. Jason Bourne, who is a part of the same program essentially. And he, you know, 
says to him, look at us, look at what they make you give, Mm -hmm. which is basically the exact dying words of the character who tried to kill him in the first movie played by Clive Owen. Yeah. And it, and it's so nice because I think sometimes when a director takes over for another director, yeah. they shy away from making references to that movie. Yeah. Right. Because they're like, I got to create my own thing yep. and I don't want people just comparing the two. So for him to like kind of pay an ode to what Doug Lyman did in the first one is a nice little moment. Oh, yeah. you know? And there's and there's like a dozen of these where you're like, and it's amazing that you can do that in a movie where you're only basing this off of two other movies, just, you know, four hours of footage, essentially. Um, You have this many odes, but none of them are so obvious that you roll your eyes, right? Yeah. They all fit within the movie. It's not a thing where it's like, because sometimes when you see, you know, for instance, I just watched the absolutely abjectly terrible, uh, The Woman in the Window um, with Amy Adams. And there are so many references to Rear Window Uh. that it is painful. Um, And you don't have any of that here. You have references to other movies. You have references to movies within this trilogy, Mm -hmm. but none of them stand out so much that you're like, that anyone watching would be like, oh, it's the, that from that. Right. Here we go. You know, there's none of that. It's, you know, because sometimes when you have, illusions that are that obvious you have the same reaction that people have when a movie makes it a point to say the title in a very dramatic way right where it's like oh the title the titular line here we go <laughs> we and it take takes you back to the future <laughs> right right exactly and it kind of takes you out of the movie a little bit and i don't think there's any moments like that in the entire runtime here uh no you're absolutely correct and i think it's because Greengrass leaned into the themes and the elements of the first movie rather than just the text of the material. Cause like, obviously Bourne's memory is the cornerstone of this movie. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's action tragedy. It's like spy tragic. And in tragedy, the things are co- like, there's always a coda, you know, and where you, in the first movie you had Marie dyeing her hair, cutting it. And he realized he dragged this poor woman into his world of death and like sleeplessness and despair. The same thing kind of happens here with uh, Nikki. And it's almost like the same, like it just the, the scenes that I remember from the first movie come rushing back to me in, in that scene where he's talking to Nikki and she's disguising herself. And again, the, the whole theme of like the, the failing memory or the absent memory and like the tragedy of Jason Bourne comes full circle. Like anybody he could possibly care about has to be in hiding because of who he is because Mm -hmm. of his life. And I think Greengrass recognized that and played it up. And I think another very um, smart thing he did, not just smart, but like, mature like i i can't find the word i'm looking for but like um very wise i guess he doesn't talk down to the first movie ever like his his movies are so much better but like he recognizes that he's building off of the first one not trying to outdo them you know like he builds on it he's not competing with it and i think a lot of times directors compete with the earlier entries rather than using them as stepping stones and like architecture to continue with, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what sets this apart. The like, and I think the best sequels do that in general, you know, I, I could, I could think like just four, four or five movies, just 
you know, went across my mind's eye right now. And I remember there was a Mission Impossible movie where it like picked up all the threads from like right. all the other ones and like made them integral parts of Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, he didn't seem like an action figure anymore. He seemed right. like a very tragic character who's, you know, uh, stuck in this lifestyle where he's constantly putting his life on the line for the world. Yeah. You know, and- I feel like Rogue, Rogue Nation uh, yeah. maybe is the one that, that did that. And and you're right. It makes because I think the the bad thing about action movies and I love action movies, mm-hmm. as you know, yeah. is that sometimes these characters don't they become not characters anymore yeah right Action. we theory. talked about this on our diehard episode where it like gets more and more ridiculous and you're like eh, yeah now i don't really care there's no real risk and some of that is just the action yeah but some of it is like when you when movies get this big and brash and bold you end up just dropping threads because like oh god that's ridiculous i don't even want to deal with this mm-hmm. uh because like it's too challenging to really do that um but a movie like this and a movie like Rogue Nation picks up that mantle yeah. and takes that challenge and goes like, OK, how can we connect all these things? Yeah. And, you know, because if we're building a universe here, these things have to have an impact. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, what was the point of him going through that adventure mm-hmm. other than entertaining the audience for 90 to 120 minutes? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what makes uh, and Bourne actually is it's one of my favorite action franchises mm-hmm. um, for a number of reasons, many of which we've talked about. And also because, like, yes, it is it does have over the top moments, but it's like weirdly efficient oh, yeah. for an action movie. Even the fight sequences um, are it's never a thing where he beats the hell out of someone just for the fun of it right. or continues pummeling someone because it looks good on screen. It's all about incapacitation yeah. rather than murder. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, he does exactly what he has to do to get out of the situation and keep himself and his loved ones safe. And I really respect that in a movie. Yeah. There's very few action movies like that. Like how many action movies have you seen, especially in the eighties where someone is shot in the head and then you shoot them 900 more times <laughs> with an automatic <laughs> weapon. Right. And sometimes, sometimes that works for effect. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking of RoboCop specifically oh, like absolutely. that works for effect, but in a movie that's, uh, grounded in any kind of reality it eventually it feels like literal overkill mm-hmm. and it feels like a moment where i'm like i'm supposed to root for this dude yeah this dude's a sadist yeah like why would i why would i root for this guy and born never tips over into that category for me and, and i think i think part of that it could be character design you know like motivation and whatnot but i think on the other hand uh in Greengrass's hands specifically this is a director who seems to be very aware of pacing and flow and like tone. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're having a moment, like, and I'm going to compare this to the transporter for a second with Jason Statham, every time there's an action scene in the transporter, right. Everything sort of grinds to a halt and, you know, the music ramps up, you know, and he's like standing there and the camera whips around, you get a good look at all his opponents and it's very stylish and very, you know, like uh, artistic in an action movie sense. And mm-hmm. it, it becomes a set piece where you're like rooting for him to not survive, but to win, you know, and right. it becomes it becomes like a, a competitive thing. Like, you know, he's the best fighter in the room. Now you get to watch him prove it. It's never right. like that with Jason Bourne and because they don't they don't slow down, you know, they mm-hmm. it's so intense. And they keep that tension there. They keep your pulse racing 
because it's not about him trying to win. It's about him trying to get out of there alive because mm-hmm. the, the movie off the franchise offers you so many examples of what happens when somebody slows down, what happens when somebody's not as good as the other guy, they die right. painful, horrible deaths. You yeah. know, it's not like you got Absolutely. knocked out and you're going to lie on the floor and you know, it's PG 13 and you're, you're going to live. No, they get stabbed. They get thrown out of windows, you know, horrible. <laughs> and yeah. there's a sense of like, that could be born if he's not as good uh-huh. as the next guy. Right. And it's, you know, it, and it makes perfect sense within this world because essentially what Jason Bourne is fighting is an all powerful government force. Yeah. Right. So there's no end. There's no there's no like they're going to run out of guns or run out of guys. Like if you look at like, you know, say something like commando. Right. right? There's a certain amount of men who are coming <laughs> after him. Yeah. And, and when they're dead, they're dead. That's yeah. it. Game over. We win. But that is not what Born is about. Like no. you said, it's about survival or more so it's about escape. Yeah. Right. Yeah. His whole thing is like, let me accomplish whatever this mission is for the moment and then get away and disappear. Right. It's not about standing on the mountaintop and beating your chest and being like, I'm the best here. I'm the king of the mountain. It's about like, how can I fix this problem? Figure out who I am and disappear forever and live a peaceful life. Oh yeah. That's it. Right. And that is such a rare thing in the genre of a like a man who just wants some, some quiet, Yeah, you know, like let me, and, and, and I mean that in the sense of, quiet in his life and quiet inside his own head. Yeah. Right. Like, let me just figure out what it is that is in the back of my mind messing with me and let me move on. Let me be the man. Let me be a good man. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's essentially what, like you mentioned, the choice that he makes at the end of the first movie. Yeah. Like I don't need to be a badass assassin. I need to be a man who has the love of a good woman. Yeah. Like, holy shit. What a, what a revolutionary thing to do it in action movies. Yeah. Usually when a love of a woman is involved in action movies, it's she dies yeah. in the very beginning. And then he goes on a murderous rampage to repent, to avenge her death. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is, you know, which is very like living, you know, living through that on film is very cathartic yeah. and very fun. Mm-hmm. But, but when it's done, I do feel like there's a what now moment. Oh, oh yeah. Right. And here you don't get that. You get a like you get a sense of resolution yeah. here, a sense of peace, which is a which is a really nice thing that's kind of unexpected here. And and I will say, I think that's the one thing like Hollywood learned a lot uh, from the from the Jason Bourne movies. And I think there's one thing they also learned to sort of sidestep. I don't think Marie's death has aged very well as a plot no. point. I think that. Jason Bourne is the type of character who, even if somebody fired a gun in her general direction at the second movie, he would have he would have disappeared from her life until he knew it was safe to go back to her. And, right, and that right. that's what Ethan Hunt did in the Mission Impossible franchise. Right. You know, like he married the love of his life and then he realized he had to disappear from her life and let her move on. Right. And it's also a little bit of a fridging, right? It Where is, it's like, it, is. it really is. You know, you know, like she dies in order to serve his character. Yeah. Not only in the reasons he does what he does, but also to allow him to get back out there and be badass Jason Bourne. Because yeah. nobody's going to watch a Jason Bourne movie where he, like, you know, makes scrambled eggs in the morning for his nice lady. Like, that's not, I would. That's not what be, yeah, but that's not what the general population <laughs> right. is going to go for, right. right? We want badass Jason Bourne kicking ass. And 
that's why this movie made five hundred million dollars mm-hmm. is because they got rid of the the kind of genuineness and the kindness of that relationship to kind of open up his past and open up his present where he can really let loose. And I think I think that's interesting because, like, I remember in our earlier episodes, you asked me a, a few times, like, what would you have done differently or like, what would you have done for a sequel? And I think even after all this time, I, I can sit back and say, you know, I think I would have had it where like, like in Mission Impossible, you know, because like in, in between Mission Impossible 3 and Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, all of that happens off screen, like Ethan Hunt moves on off screen you know, his wife has to move on off screen and it's, it's included in the plot of the movie as exposition, but you don't see it now. Like Mm. imagine the born supremacy where they, they end up in the water. Marie doesn't die, but when she comes up, he's nowhere to be found. Right. And Mm -hmm. he's already started disappearing and he has to like watch as she thinks he's dead or, or Mm -hmm. doesn't know. And he has to cut ties with her and like, cover his tracks so well and then go after the people because instead of just killing her it would have been they killed his chance at that life they killed his chance Mm. at having that life and i think now um uh, movies are doing that a little bit more you know um john wick is another example rather than you know fridging the wife she dies but that's not what motivates his character you know like he had his time with her it was the dog and I mean, uh, I mean, I uh, not to be this guy, but I think I would disagree with it's about the dog. The dog was the final gift from his wife. Fair. So, um, so it's, but but I see what you're saying, yeah. especially because she dies off screen. It's not like and the this get horrible killed. thing. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's just like, you know, she had a horrible disease. Right. And she died. It's a terrible thing. Yeah. I love that we've gotten to the point in the podcast and we always get here eventually uh, where where Joe has said, <laughs> you know what I can do? I can do better than an Academy Award winning screenwriter. <laughs> this is Tony. This is Tony Gilroy, who won the Academy <laughs> Award for Michael Clayton. And Joe's like, you know what? This fucking hack. No, I no. Could, I could do better than that. <laughs> only only on an emotional level do I feel like I would have done things uh, differently. I don't think right. I could have pulled it off as well. Because like, who, who am I? I'm nobody, right? I'm on a podcast. I'm not so far. I'm not so far. I'm, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I haven't made any movies yet. Like, I'm not. I'm not trying to say, oh, like these guys, they're they're wrong. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like, and I, I actually definitely want to say this, like for our listeners and for anybody you know watching this, because like, if 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 I was listening and I heard somebody like legitimately think they could do better. And like a, a screenwriter like that, I would click off the podcast. I want to. I want to put this out there right now. I'm not one of those guys who like sits around saying, "Oh, these guys they they don't know what the fuck they're doing." Like these guys know what they're doing, you yes, know. Yes, and yes. I I think it's just fun <laughs> to imagine alternate uh, alternate movies, you know, like alternate realities where things are a little different. You know, but I also I also think you're right that if this movie, you know, somehow magically the Bourne movies never happen and you started them in 2019. Right. Right. Yeah. And this movie was coming out next year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's 
there's no way they keep that the same. Oh yeah. I, I, I think, I think we're a little more aware mm-hmm. of, even though fridging has, is a concept has been around for fucking ever. Cause yeah. I think Gail Simone uh, was the, the one who came up yes. with it, who kind of talked about this and, and she's been talking about this for, you know, yeah. decades at this point, but it's become such a part of the cultural consciousness that yeah. I think writers are a little more careful about how, especially how they kill women in male led films. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I like what you're saying that, like, you know, he, given what we know about this new person that he's become right. after the first movie, he does seem like someone who would break someone's heart in order to keep them safe. Exactly. Like that, that does fit with this character. So, you know, I'm just giving you shit. I know you don't <laughs> think you're better than Tony Gilroy, but, but I think you bring up some really interesting points about him. And it feels like, and again, I mentioned the word efficiency, yeah. efficiency. Yeah. Um, and I, I think this is another example of that. Right. It's like, let's, you know, it's, as shitty as this sounds, let's get this woman out of the way as quickly as possible right. so we could get to the action, which is what people demand yeah. out of the Bourne franchise. And, and I think it's interesting because, like, I don't think this is a concept of, I mean, it is and it isn't. Like, I think on one hand, there's like a political correctness to this where, you know, women are seen as indispensable plot devices or dispensable plot devices in action movies. And I think uh, Gail Simone and so many others who have called this out, who've called attention to it, you know, it's sort of, um, you know, shaken the hornet's nest, so to speak. And it's it rattled some cages and people are like, yo, yeah. you know, there's other ways to write this. And I think it's made for smarter movies. I think it's made for better movies when you're not treating one of your main characters like uh, a throwaway plot device. Like Marie was a character. I cared about yeah. her, you know? And like, Agreed. it's such a shortcut to kill her off and say, now you care about what he has to do. Now you care about his revenge. There's right. there's so many other stories to tell there, you know? And you could accomplish the same thing narratively. You could have accomplished Jason Bourne cutting ties and <clears throat> going to ground and having to, you know, go after the CIA and all that without throwing her away like that. And yeah. I think... I think uh, screenwriters and I think Hollywood in general have realized that, you know, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know if they've completely embraced it a hundred percent. They're still trying to wrap their head around the concept in certain movies. Um, but I think they're, they're sort of uh, progressing towards, you know, better, better movies in that regard, you know, yeah. treating those characters better. And uh, I think that's another reason. And, and, and so many others, why I also um, appreciate the fast and the furious franchise. You know, they are probably the most simple form of popcorn entertainment that you could access, you know, on the market right now. But Mm -hmm. they know how they resonate, not just who they resonate with. They resonate on an emotional level because they're speaking in terms that everyone understands, you know, Um, family. And as much as it's become a punchline of the Internet, you know, there's something so cathartic about seeing um Characters in movies bond with each other, have fun with each other, relate to each other, and it doesn't need to be capital with a cinema C to uh, with a capital C cinema with a capital C to achieve that. (laughs) Um, And I think a lot of people sort of like, oh, these movies are so bad they're good. Like these movies are efficient because they know exactly how to snag their audience and keep Mm -hmm. coming back. You know, yeah. And I think Greengrass did that, but in the other direction. Like he did that. He's like, I'm going to I'm going to make these movies smart and then smarter. And they're going to be incredibly effective because we're not talking down to our audience. We're not talking down to the previous movies. 
and we're embracing the effects that this has on Jason Bourne. So even yeah. even in a movie where they fridged Murray, you know, franchise where they fridged Murray, it isn't treated like it would be in like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where, you know, right. by the end of the movie, he's already cracking jokes again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's it's such a tragedy for him, you know, and the, the Casino Royale did the same thing, you know, oh, man. Um, but it's it's a tragedy for these characters. And I think there was a period from like 2000 something to, you know, maybe 2010 where like that was the de facto go to for like mm-hmm. tragic male characters. And now they're like, OK, we've played that to death. What else can we do? But mm-hmm. I think it bears remembering that like the Bourne trilogy that did it. I think it deserves some mention for, you know, not being arbitrary like that, not following a trend, you know, like it was genuinely trying to tell a story where some, you know, bad stuff happened to a guy who's otherwise, like you said, very kind to women. And uh, yeah, <clears throat> kind of rambling there, but yeah. No, it's okay. Yeah. And you know, it's, it, I mean, we'll wrap up at this point, but, but I think it's, you know, it's a really interesting comparison to the fast and the furious, uh, you know, whatever nine or 12 <laughs> movies they've had now, they just keep making them and I keep watching them because I'm a fucking idiot and I will watch popcorn entertainment till the day I die. Um, but I think you could not pick a more different uh, film franchise, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that, that movie is all about emotional connection. It's, right. I mean, uh, granted the first movie is, you know, point break in a car. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's just like viciously stolen oh, yeah. point break. Like it's so obvious, but it's this whole thing about this heartbreak of being betrayed by someone you thought was family. Right. Someone you thought was a really close friend. And those movies respond by bonding everyone closer together. Yeah. And the Bourne movies respond by separating him yep. more and more because like he finally was able to connect with someone I mean, finally, it's the yeah. first movie, but for him, yeah. it's a brand new experience, right? And the man he was before that would have never done that. Um, and when that's taken away, he, I think, I think it's interesting because you talked about the the Mission Impossible thing as well about like removing yourself from that person. And I think that's what he's doing after the loss of Marie. Right. Right. Is he's learned that like, oh God, this is truly dangerous for anyone who gets close to me. So I have to remove myself. And it's just, it's a really interesting character arc. Is it a little too efficient to do it that way? Probably. Uh, But it's still, I mean, fridging aside, it's really effective. It is. Um, And the way they do it really works on an emotional level. So all this to say, in conclusion, that movie fucking rocks. uh, And you should watch all the Jason Bourne movies because they're all worth watching. Even the ones that are bad, aren't that bad. Right. You know, they're still, they're still enjoyable movies, but Joe, what are we doing next? It's your, it's your turn. Don't disappoint me. (laughs) Don't, don't pick some bullshit movie that I don't want to watch. So what's, what's coming up next? I, I'm going to go with lethal weapon three. Okay. Going on the action trend. All right. Big surprise. Joe picks another action movie. <laughs> I am stunned. Stunned. So I'm looking forward to this because I don't think I've seen the Lethal Weapon movies probably since the release of Lethal Weapon 4. Wow. Was the, was the last time. I, and, and it's something that's in the cultural consciousness so deep that mm-hmm. some sometimes movies that are that popular, you feel like, well, I don't need to rewatch that. I know what the deal is. Right. But sometimes it's nice to have an excuse. So I yeah. am going to watch... Before we record our next episode, I'm going to watch all four of these movies. Oh, wow. So I apologize uh, for my inevitable moment where I confuse one movie for the other. No worries. Uh, it's definitely going to happen, but I'm looking forward to this. All so, right. so thank you for picking Lethal Weapon. That is a good choice, finally. Good work. <laughs> all right.